Welcome to the Cali Ag Podcast. I'm Tyler Colombaro, and I'm the host of this podcast. This podcast will ultimately be an exploration into all aspects of California agriculture, from the crops, to the land, to the water. Listener, if you were not aware, the state of California provides an unquantifiable amount of produce to the world. We will feature guests on each episode that work and lead the agricultural trajectory and symbiosis within the state of California. So listener, join us, tell your friends, and tell a farmer about the Cali Ag Podcast. Folks, we're here with Memo Trejo. He's our Cali Ag Podcast correspondent, and I might say, bro, you are one of the most requested people to come back on because I've met people at the bar that I work at. I've met people out in the world that like kind of know ag a little bit. They listen to the podcast because it was one of the first episodes. You were on one of the first episodes and uh, people like you, man. You're the realest dude out there, man, doing God's honest work. People you know, I'm list- just, uh, just seeing where I can leave a helping hand, but yes, agriculture definitely helps feed the world and, you know, to be a part of that, it's just, it's great feeling. For sure. Memo's been on episode number three and number nine, and now number 18. So go check those other episodes out and all that jazz. But Memo, you know, I know that you're an ag consultant, essentially, and you're a grower, and you're an ag lover at heart. But what exactly has your season been like, man? What have you been wrapped up doing all season long? Well, it's been hibernating like a bear right now, you know, because the growers don't want to do too much with the... But pruning because of cost of labor, obviously, uh, we've always been in a hot topic. And then uh, you see all these, all these uh, big old mountains of uh, grounded up orchards that big old bulldozers come through and ripping those trees out. So those things are, a lot of orchards drying up, you know, a lot of growers letting the orchards go. So it's a, it's a, it's a different wave, you know, for everybody again, you know. For sure, man. So like, um, what do you think about like where we're at right now? As we record this, we're entering December 2023, and looking back, do you feel like the almonds were on point? When you know we had some late rains, and the reason why I bring this up is because you would know. Everyone out there noticed. I've had quite a few people on this podcast lately that talk about how the rain kind of altered the normal course of our everyday agriculture around here we're used to having such a drought to where we don't get the rains that we've gotten have you again, seen any issues out there like that again it'll be like a cubicle thing it's the where the area and how hard mother nature hits you in that area you know it's where you are at so and again the water plays a big factor in the almonds because you know too much water you've got trees chopping over with too much wind and water and then also too um Almonds, it was, it was like for different varieties, it was it was pretty good, you know. It was it was just the, the prices, you know, the, the prices are not the same. So that's where pretty much where the growers is waiting to do the putting more maintenance into the trees to the orchard. Yeah, like as far as pruning and uh, putting into the orchard at all and spending any money, you know. So they just want to make sure that whatever's going to be left is clean on the tree and and uh, tied up for the next season, you know. So. You have a good crop, nothing hanging over. Right, exactly. Yeah, for sure. 
So like when you're talking about how it's been like you've been hibernating and shit is because you already did all that or because people are not talking about pruning that or you're saying they pruned early because, yeah, because they don't want to pay more for labor. People don't want to start. Eventually, growers uh, they're gonna want to get everything done because of you know the cost of labor is gonna go up, but they don't want to start at the same time because of the of whatever circumstances they're in at that time. You know. Yeah, for sure. It's that capital. It's that capital, bro, for sure. The people that can keep functioning year round, year after year, are the big, the big boys. We all know that. If you're in Central Valley, you're in California, shit, you're in the Midwest. Like, you know what's up. You know what we're talking about here. This is big yeah, money my, uh, type stuff that keeps it afloat. The, the small farmer is harder to come by these days, bro. And you know, I, I want to say, well, we were there to, to help a lot of small farmer out. And, you know, again, even if. Uh, the day-to-day backyard gardener, you know, like, you know, if you have any questions, obviously come out to you, but yeah, my dad was talking to the big boss, uh, not too long ago. And he was saying something like, uh, I, uh, covered the West side with a lot of almonds. And so, you know, he's proud of that too, you know? So, but yeah, most definitely the staying busy right now. Well, what's the West side been like for almonds this year, bro? As the season's done now, they all got their nuts all sucked up and sent off. What's the yeah, stats, bro? Well, I guess they're just taking the numbers from last year and 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 how far the yields would be, you know, because you did, you get different yields with these hybrids, but is there it between third leaf is when you get uh, actual actual crop, you can get anywhere between like five hundred to a thousand or eight hundred or three hundred to eight hundred, you know, the first uh, third year, and then. Other years you can probably get like twelve to fifteen hundred, and later on when you get four or five year old, you get you get to that twenty two, three thousand, you know. For sure. You know where the where the where the almonds is going big. Yeah, man. Pounds per acre, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many almonds in the state of California. It's wild to think about. Like, there's you know, it, it it's it's like the United States as a whole. Say if if every state included. Um, grows a certain amount of almonds, right? Whatever amount that is. We don't need to get into specific numbers. But, like, California is 95% of that. Most definitely. So, so say Up if in Nevada state. or somewhere where there's, like, a little pocket where they're producing some almonds, you know, they're out there or wherever. But California is basically uh, Arvin, 100% of Arvin it. Arvin out there by the grapevine all the way up to uh, Upland, Maryland, up north, Redding. Yeah. It's wild. Or yeah, you drive up the 99, that's what you see. Yeah. All the way up for hours, you can yeah. just see almonds, you know. Most definitely. Not just almonds, but, I mean, that's a majority of it. Like, it's pretty wild. Pistachios. pistachios. Yeah, and pistachios a lot of the Butter time, for crops. sure. Yeah, but um, it, it it's wild because almonds, like, it, the almond production in California is off the chain, bro, honestly. Because where else do they grow them in the world? They grow them, I think, a little in the Middle East because um, there's, like, a Mediterranean climate there. I think they probably grow them somewhere in Italy a little bit because there's a Mediterranean climate there. If uh, if uh, if I ever get to go on and, and uh, talk to your listeners again, uh, I'm gonna find out something good about what's going on with almonds next time about how how more interesting is gaining, you know? Yeah, for sure, bro, for sure. But almonds are really healthy for a lot of food for the you know for the body and you know, so almond milk obviously, but got the, you get the almonds in the chocolate bars and the M and M's, but. Most definitely. So, like, for the healthy. last couple months, what have you been doing in ag, bro? 
I'm just uh, trying to take care of my uh, peach orchard. I, I don't know if I talked last time, but I got this little peach orchard going, and then uh, that I've got a late start in the planning, but they're going. You know, we we got some hope, big hope for these little trees, and it's a tannery peach. I'm not too sure on the variety just yet, but uh, yeah, they're looking good. Just taking care of those weeds. Oh yeah, I bet, bro. You know, like, it's crazy how the seasons change. And I think a lot of people don't know. Like, there's different weeds, whatever you want to call them, plants of all kinds that grow in different seasons. And to think about it like that is maybe a better approach. Because a lot of people are like, yeah, just spray Roundup on it and this and that. Well, Roundup will basically will kill some of the summer weeds, you know, and then it'll kill some of the winter weeds. But it won't kill them all. And there's a few of them that are completely Roundup resistant. And they're pretty I, badass. I just know this year I find myself uh, a little more time in the orchard. We got the show on hand, doing that manual labor out there, you know, just to get get those big guys out, out of the ground, you know, when it gets too crazy. And then obviously getting the tractor and doing the disking and flooring with them for the bros for the water. Oh, for getting sure. Ready bro. for next time irrigation, yeah, because uh, you got to do the rounds, you know. For sure, yeah, you got to do that IPM strategy, bro. You can't just be lo- using herbicides. I wasn't trying to say to use herbicides. I'm just saying that the season changes, and the most like people, even if they're not in ag, they know in their yards and, and whatnot when they spray certain herbicides, certain things don't die, so they're Roundup resistant, essentially. We all got a neighbor that got the, the yard going a little bit too crazy, you know. Yeah, mine's been like that a little bit lately because I'm too hard into the other things right now, but I've hey, been well, cleaning her uh, up. Give me a call. Come help you do your yard, man. I, I, that's always a good. Uh... A small goal and a tap in, the, tap in the back, you know? <laughs> For sure. No, I got a good setup and everything. I got some beautiful fig trees, some peaches, a walnut tree, uh... Uh, I got like a little setup for all my different seasonal varieties and stuff. Planting garlic this week. Um... And I'm going to put in That's another nice. chicken coop area because my chickens, they had passed last year. And I'm like, you know, I got to revamp the chicken coop scenario. I got to set it up differently. I got to put it in a different spot, you know. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm kind of motivated to do right now. Cold. Yeah. And then once we get through the, the winter here, I'm going to probably get some baby chicks, you know, pup them up, take care of the little babies, get them to be laying beasts because eventually chickens are beasts, bro. You ever done chick? You have chickens, right? You know about chickens, bro. Most likely we'll do them, get them, yes, for sure. Yeah. I mean, dude, chickens are the best thing, honestly, to have in the backyard. If anyone is out there thinking about it or something, it really is. Um, it, it really is fulfilling. You know, you're taking care of these creatures. They don't need much. You just feed them your food scraps, basically. Unless you don't like responsibility, you know? then you just leave the animals alone. Yeah, and I mean... <laughs> just keep, and, just and, take a picture with them and stuff, but just leave them for the next man. Maybe, yeah, exactly. People can't take yes. care of them, for sure. But, like, definitely you got to keep up on them. You know, make sure they got liquids, water. It's pretty easy, though, when you kind of get it down, bro. You just got to make sure there's little things. You can put an auto timer on a water thing. You can put a float-type valve on a water thing. You could do all that kind of stuff, but definitely you can get hella eggs from laying chickens because they are pretty uh, pretty high in output. I had two chickens for a couple years, and it, it got to be at a point where they would basically produce one egg a day for most of the year. It, when it got cold, a little less, but still like one egg each a day. So that's nice. 14 eggs basically that's a an, week. That's an almost day. Oh, yeah, for sure. And this guy right here eats a lot of eggs, man. I like to hard-boil them. I just eat them hard-boiled with, like, some greens and some cheese or something like that for a quick little deal, you know? That's a good snack, bro. That's a good thing to keep you rolling, folks. But anyways, chickens are an amazing thing to have, for sure. 
Um, I think that the poultry game in the mainstream is kind of weird, you know, because they just kind of cage the chickens and all this kind of stuff, right? It, it is what it is. I mean, if you have chickens, yeah, you're kind of caging them too. But more, you want to do it yourself. You know that you go self efficient. You start thinking outside the box, I guess. For sure, eggs are just a great example of that because growing growing crops and stuff is is cool, but then you end up with a lot of something and you don't know what to do with all of it at one time. So it's important to like learn how to harvest at the right times. Maybe you can get multiple harvests. Maybe you can replant. Uh, you you can can things, yeah. But eventually, you just yeah, got too much of it. And a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, I feel like they get heavy on a garden because I've done this where you plant way too much stuff, you can't even keep up with it, you know, and it becomes a burden. And most people just let it go That's and then they I've just leave it there, you know. And I and that happens. Mother uh, Nature and the the realm of the universe uh, take its course for a little bit. For sure, and and then I definitely got to engage and switch gears here and uh, uh, more listeners. The listeners that they got some more what's going on out there. I need some more uh, ears and eyes out there. What's going on out there? You know. Yeah, for sure. We got to hit a memo out there on Instagram. Tell them what you're seeing out there, man. But like we brought up frost earlier. And you were bringing up the, the, the frost. Is Have we already had some frost? Because it got cold as hell in the end of November I think here. Just, uh, I think a couple of days ago we had the first frost, but uh, I'm not too bad right now. It's just really cold fronts coming down. What's something to Different do? Different parts of the Central Valley. What's something to do to like mitigate like frost damage and whatnot? Uh, well, well, people be irrigating and then turn those big old bonfires. What like, is, like back in the day. What does irrigating the crops do when it's really cold, bro? Well, it's it, the warmth of the water flow of the, of the trees gets a, there's a little bit more of a steam, I guess. That's so At interesting. Some point, but sometimes it gets too too cold and it just the water just freezes. It's an icicle. I've seen years where we just had to stop and take pictures next to the icicle where the water's coming out the real spill and, and it's actually just all frozen, you know? Yeah, wow. Hasn't really been that bad in years, but just cases. Yeah, dude, for real. That's crazy, man. The furrows all frozen, imagine. No, but it's interesting because the the water. Bicycles hanging off the orange trees right here, out here by uh, our mountain out there, on those uh, orange trees out there. It's crazy because the water, like you said, like irrigating and running down the furrows, whatever, is actually theoretically keeping this uh, higher temperature than freezing because it's technically harder to freeze that water to 32 degrees than it is the air that we take temperature by because it's a different medium essentially. So the water being there, it it takes a lot more to freeze it to 32 degrees than it does air and, and, and the trees that are above ground or whatever. But uh, when you say you see icicles, aren't fans like a thing for oranges and stuff? How does that work? It just blows air. So it keeps it from getting cold. Yeah. just It it kind of feels, and and people that live around the houses or areas of the fans, with it, it makes things colder, you know, but it's just trying to keep that movement, trying to keep that, instead of that cold air sitting there, it's more, it's more being. It's interesting. Slow. Everybody in the Central Valley, especially, like, or people that live in citrus areas, know that sound, the sound of the fans. They kick on, and you hear them overnight. Yeah, you know when it's going to freeze, it's, well, yep, the fans are on. It's going to freeze, throw an extra blanket. <laughs> for sure that's interesting though so hey how are those powered though they're powered by propane most of the time huh yeah propane and, and uh some diesel ones that's so cool man 
That's interesting. They just turn these fans on like they probably have them automated, or, or do a lot of guys have to go out no, there and that turn them out on? There and he be, he be, uh, I guess uh, there's Snapchat going on now days, but he be he be sending me those snaps and showing me I'm out there real cold in the morning, showing me what's going on. He's getting them turned on in the wee early in the morning. Damn. So, so yeah, all those do it manually. So like maybe there, some uh, big companies though maybe got it automated. Eventually, yeah, most definitely. I'm sure they can do it from uh from the convenience of their bedroom, probably just a touch of a button with the phone technology nowadays, you know? I was going to say, like, someone out there better be on it, man. Make yeah. it a simple application for the average farmer or whatever, if they're out there still, to just go slap it on there. And then when the temperature it has, like, a thermostat tied to it or something, and it somehow senses temperature. Yeah, call it the Memo Trejo. Pen, no, the Memo app. The Memo app. The memo yeah, app. You get the memo. Like five, seven years talking about it, but it's gonna be like a lot of different things. Oh, check this out. Thermemo. Like, be like a search engine. Thermemostat. That's crazy. Thermemostat. Yeah. That'd be dope. And it's interesting. Therm thermometer. Thermometer. Yeah, dude, because it could like t- it could like take the temperature outside and turn the fans on when it gets to that time. So no, you don't have to pay someone to go out there. And I hate to say that, but like everyone's trying to cut efficiencies and all this kind of bullshit and all this stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that seems like a logical application, especially when we're growing a massive amount of produce. You know what I mean? Pay the yeah. guy to do something else instead of that, maybe. I mean, it sucks. It's but. a hot topic. Again, we're go- we're gonna need uh, people in general to get out there and push a button you know at one point or another so it's just you're totally you right you gotta though. be a, a place uh, a certain time in the, in the in the chain you know you gotta be aware and sharp you know go with, come be ready with the changes hey so you feel like the late rains messed with the situation kind of towards the end of the year here with for like for like raisins and certain crops oh yes i was out there uh, had my chance of picking some grapes for like uh, one of my other buddies companies and uh you know, for the little boxes for the market, and you know the rain just messed up a lot of orchards out here in the in the grapes for sure. And some guys got lucky and covered their stuff uh, ahead of time, you know. But even that, you know, you can save so much when you get really wind, really wind, and blowing off the the, the top off the rows of the vines, you know. For sure. So you get a lot of crop rot in there. Yeah, man, it's crazy. You like you were and talking. Again, to... It was a, that that area was in, out of like in Porterville, a popular area. So it just depends on everywhere, you know. But I get, I think uh, West Side uh, did a bit better than in over here towards inland towards uh, Nevada's. For sure, you were as talking far about as, like the vines. Yeah, you were talking about having to deal with like weeds and stuff with the rains and stuff. It probably already ignited. A plethora of weeds that are kind of been sprouting. The early morning temperature is now like having a dew point and all this stuff. And then you got the nice looking weeds that are getting growing out there, you know? And it's, yeah. and it's just Mother Nature taking its course, you know? Yeah. But most definitely, you know, you, you got to keep it control out of your orchard, you know? For sure. Rain just affects that. I bet you it f- affects the fertilizers too that are present in the soil that have maybe been added. Rain is good. Can't argue. Rain is water is good. Water, uh, food grows where water flows and. And if we got water, then we got a chance to grow something, make something happen, you know, to, to make a pumpkin cake or, or pizza, tomatoes, you know, French fries, potatoes, anything, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel you. H2O is power. For sure. Like, so the rain comes and it kind of gets those those pockets that where the irrigation may not normally get. And it kind of helps the soil break down whatever fertilizers or yeah, amendments you know, it, that have been know, put in. If it's El Nino status, it's always going to be a little bit too much rain at one time, you know. But rain's always going to be good, you know. There's just certain times in the crops, where, you know, everything's going to explode, like the cherries or like the grapes this time, you know. And the yields of the, of the orchards, you know, because of the rain and water drops the buds come off and then you get half the yield instead of a nice full 100%. Yeah, for sure. So, like, as the season's kind of been ending, like, uh, what are you doing about harvesting, like, almonds? Like, when did that happen? Or do, is it people already done that? Yeah, I got, I got uh, growers that have their machinery and they do it for their neighbors and they do it for uh, some other my big growers. And then we got their teams and everything's already wrapped up already. But, like, pruning-wise. As as and then pruning, pruning uh, they have a machine that goes in there and, Shreds it and throws it in, a, in another, like, gondola in the back, another, you know, tractor driver. And then they take the whole, everything out to the, outside the orchard and make one big old pile. And then they get another conveyor and then put it in the, in the, in the big trucks, you know, and then haul it off. So they don't burn it? Yeah, it's a big, no, no, they're not burning it. They're mulching it and hauling it off from the orchard. That's cool. That and wood's then probably I, useful. I, when it's. Not too much brush, then we'll go ahead and shred it and leave it in the orchard, you know? And then it just uh, decomposes that way. But yeah, that's what that's the big deal right now. Like, if you have one of those big machines to uh, do the ripping, you know, there's a lot of guys waiting to rip their orchards and, and to mulch, you know, to all the big business, I think, was coming out, you know, and to do all that actual work and pulling out 600 acres of uh, orchards at a time, you know? And actually giving the machinery and mulch and pull everything out from the orchard. I think the government was going to pay a little something to do that. For sure. They probably there was. There was a program. So there's certain programs out there. I don't know the actual name of them. Like with almonds, pruning them and stuff, like, what do you, like, do you normally top? them like is that what people normally do like they hedge them in or do they yeah, like create have, little I windows a, i have a, this grower that he just did about about 300 acres of nothing but hedging you know and he has uh, some steep rows out there on the west side he has this grower actually has like 10,000 acres almonds but anything he only did like a few hundred or a couple thousand but he did all the hedging in the middle and then on top you know the topping and then they did like some did what they call like a v-shape they're going down the middle and cutting like in a V angle, like more towards close on the top and then higher from the bottom, like wider on the bottom. Oh, so they like, they like, uh, they basically like, um, make little scaffolds. Yeah. They just, uh, it's an interesting machine that just spirals up through the, it's a this big old, big old tractor and with the spiral in the front, like, Two zippers, like two little zipper machines in the front, you know, just going at it, just blades, oh, and, they, yeah. and and you can move it to an angle, you know. Yeah. So it's all interesting. You gotta definitely stay away from all that, you know. But I have a crews that sometimes uh, pick up little brush after this machinery's been passing by. So like again, you know, even though they different growers prune different ways, 
they always have a little bit of job for someone to go in there and pick up a little debris that's around there, you know? Yeah. And actually macro manage and actually with the, with the rake and get you know, those larches look nice, you know, that's how you get them to look so clean, you know? Yeah, it helps with sanitization, I'm sure, too. Everything, everything has to be out. Everything is uh, paramount. Man, we keep talking about like pruning and all this stuff, but it just reminds me of what we're talking about labor costs going up and why people are pruning early every year now because the minimum wage just keeps going up in the state of California. It's something to deal with, you know, as as a as a business person in general, like it really is. And it makes sense that people are trying to prune early and all this stuff. But stone fruit is one of those ones that, yeah, they're getting more mechanized with it, but a lot of fields, correct me if I'm wrong, you still have to kind of manually prune certain parts right to get the desirable fruiting bud sites and leaf sites and all that right yes uh this year i did a lot of uh chainsaw work with the um, on the almonds and i i had really big cuts in the in the in orchard about about 200 about 200 uh, acres of almonds out on the west side about give it a little location out there shields and i5 and we micromanaged in there that pruning you know and we used chainsaw, but it was big, drastic cuts. But the tree needed it, you know, so to uh, for the prolong, prolong yeah. the rest of its life, and you know, whatever uh, scaffold we left. Yeah, because it was just like too much on there. Yeah, it was way, it was out of hand, and and the, like, like again, like I said, the, those hybrids, those varieties, or something else, you know, that those trees are just taken off, and that soil on the west side is a little different from out here, from inland. So those varieties are successful. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes, there are, and then uh, we work with a lot of nurseries. Uh, a main one is called the uh, Virtual Nursery, and I uh, do a shout out to uh, Tim Gertz and uh, John Slaughter out there. Those guys are my dad's mentors too, and mine as a little kid, you know. And uh, but yeah, we're out there doing some experiments on some almond orchards. So we've got growers that uh, let the nursery use like put. Uh, test plots and whatnot, you know. And so we're involved in that, so that's always interesting. It depends on how big you want to grasp everything, you know, and how much time you got to put into it and stay dedicated, you know. For sure. Is that how you feel about your peach planting? Yes, most definitely. And I think that's why I've been hibernating and just concentrating on those peaches because, you know, uh, when you're paying extra $7,000 every other week for, for cost for labor, you know, just to make it look clean or control the weeds or whatnot you know then it makes you think twice about spending more time in there and doing things yourself and whatnot you know but most definitely love hearing uh, stories about other people planting their orchards and uh, good success stories you know for sure you have a snapchat that people can send you their shit or what i think uh, i think i'm ready to do it i think it's called it's uh, gtjr22 gt say it again GTJR22. That's what's up, bro. People need to send memo here. What's going on out there? If you're on Snapchat, just send a vid. It's easy. Just send what's up. And boom. Psh, psh, psh. You got a Caliag correspondent right here. They could come it's on real. this podcast and spew it to the masses. We need to be more grateful 
for what's going on in California agriculture this time of season. You know, the harvest season has come. We're at the end of November. We're going into December. It's about to get cold as a mofo. We're only going to have citrus and certain stuff. And we got to be grateful for the people that are out there working hard in Cali Ag to keep us afloat, keep us have, you know, having food on the shelves to be able to consume, stay alive, make cool pies and cocktails with and all that. Yeah. Memo here is one of those out there making a difference in Cali Ag, and we're grateful to have him. We're grateful to have him on this podcast, you. you know. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and I hope that you come back again soon. We can talk about more stuff. Maybe citrus season comes along. We talk about that, and uh, we wish you luck, bro, on well, your yeah, we gotta, we canned give, peaches uh, journey. For the listeners, and if they, whoever uh, reaches out to us, we got to get something going on for them, and, you know, whether it be a box of fruit or some uh, – a luncheon or a barbecue, you know? Let's let's talk about uh agriculture. That's what I'm talking about, bro. We need to have a little a little barbecue sesh one day. Nice. The Kelly Ag barbecue. You heard it here, folks. Tell your friends and tell a farmer about the Cali Ag podcast. Really California where it's at. This podcast was created through the Symbiosis Now Network and can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the hell else you get your podcasts. And while you're out there exploring the other podcasts that this network creates, be sure to follow the network on Instagram at symbiosis.now.network, where we post lots of clips and highlights. And be sure to tune in to the Symbiosis Now podcast, the Cali Ag podcast, as well as history lessons from the lore master. And be sure to tell your friends about the Symbiosis Now Network.